0: Hi everybody it's Barry here again from turning the page and this week's topic is about scapegoats and um, uh, it wasn't nasty or maybe actually in a subtle kind of a way it was but they felt like they were um, receiving all the blame for certain things that happened and um, because of that they were actually being uh, excluded from relationships, they were being pushed out. Um, the, people didn't want to know them because they were perceived as the ones that were to blame for everything. Well, that's how they felt. And why would anyone want to have a relationship with someone like them, someone so terrible as they were supposedly? And it was so subtle and so sly that that over time, this uh, inner negative critic. Sort of wove its words into their deepest beliefs about themselves. It was a goat. <laughs> it was a scapegoat, and they had one big bleating and scapegoat in their brain. All those words. It's all your fault. You're the one to blame. Uh, you never get anything right. Uh, they did this because of you, uh, and you don't deserve any relationship. And you know when you hear these inner voices bleating in your brain all the time yeah. You, know, you begin to believe that you don't have any worth or value do you? there's nothing beautiful or meaningful about you you're just, you're just a smelly old goat and so this person withdrew uh, they hid and they definitely didn't put themselves out there because they knew that if they would they would just be more criticism, blaming and shaming they had a goat A scapegoat grazing in their brain and this idea of a scapegoat comes from a nature Jewish ritual found in Leviticus 16 related to um, a release of guilt for all the wrongdoings the people of Israel had done. Uh, There was a confession of sins in the ceremony and then the priest would lay his hands on the head of a goat and transfer and transfer all all the guilt over onto the goat. And so this is what the passage says, the priest will lay both hands upon its head, that's the goat's head, and confess over it all the sins of the people of Israel. He shall lay all their sins upon the head of the goat. And, and <laughs> this goat would, in a spiritual sense, carry the guilt load of the people's wrongdoing. It was a transference, and you may have heard about that in psychology, a transference. Um, This heavy burden of carrying guilt was to be taken away from them and placed somewhere else, onto the head of a goat. The next aspect was that uh, the goat was to be taken out into the wilderness and released. And, And the Bible says, And send it into the desert, led by a man appointed for the task. So the goat shall carry all the sins of the people into the land where no one lives, and the man shall let it loose in the wilderness. So, some poor guy has to take this goat off way out into the wilderness, into the desert, never to be seen again. Supposedly. <laughs> I wonder if any of these goats actually came back. The haunting goat, the freak people out. Oh no, he's come back! <laughs> Maybe they did. Maybe they did. <laughs> Maybe God sort of... Actually, you haven't really repented yet. You haven't really got this right as <laughs> to goat back again. In this practice there is both a transference and a rejection and now imagine yourself as that goat some of you will probably relate easier to that than others but you've had this whole transference of guilt on top of you and there is a rejection of you uh, people look at you differently uh, you're the guilty one no one wants to be near someone who reminds them of what they have done and so there is a banishment you're kicked out of the garden, once again, of our relationship. And when others come in contact with you, your very presence triggers something of their own selves. They're reminded of their own flaws. You've been quite innocent, but they have loaded on to you their own guilt. And now they stand being near, can't stand being near you. They live in fear of the goats speaking the truth. So when did it all start? This laying of blame on other people's shoulders. Well, we all do it, don't we? We want to shift responsibility away from ourselves to someone or something else. Like, I'm the innocent one, not me. Uh, They did it. Punish them by banishing them, not me. You know, we fear rejection, punishment, being kicked out of the garden. So so like the first man, Adam, we, we shift responsibility away from ourselves and on to another. And in that story from Genesis, we read that uh, after they you know, eaten the fruit, uh, God comes to them and says, who told that you were naked? And um, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, it was the woman you gave me, who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. So he's sort of taking responsibility, but he's actually also shifting it on to the woman, and on to God. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. (sighs) So, Adam blamed Eve, and also blamed God, and then Eve blamed the serpent, and then I think the serpent just had a jolly good laugh at God. (laughs) We don't read that, but you know mocking god <laughs> so another example is we have this this term called the whipping boy and a whipping boy was a, a boy educated alongside a prince or a boy monarch in early modern Europe who received corporal punishment for the prince's transgressions in his presence so um, the prince was not punished himself because his royal status exceeded that of his tutor. Seeing a friend punished would provide an equivalent motivation not to repeat that offence. And that's uh, from wiki, Wikipedia. So there was a a boy that would be trained at home, or, and just alongside the prince, but he would be the one that would get all the punishment. You know, there is a real convenience to have someone else receive the punishment, isn't there? You, you receive what I, what I should be deserving. I'll blame you. And perhaps in some people there is actually a perverse pleasure in seeing others suffer. We go to whipping boys, scapegoats, men, women, serpents and even God. Anyone else that we can shift the blame onto and reject. <sighs> and for someone, someone I know it had become a nasty little brain habit. A psychological training of the brain had happened from early childhood when they they were made the scapegoat the whipping boy the, the one to spit on it was always their fault that someone got angry that the dinner was ruined that, that the family was poor and it had been so ingrained into their thinking that now every time something bad happened they consider themselves to be the one at fault they felt like they were a city dump receiving other people's toxic waste their brain was like velcro for the bad and teflon for the good and rick hansen love this quote from rick hansen it says the brain is like velcro for negative experiences but teflon for positive ones this shades implicit memory your underlying expectations beliefs action strategies and mood in an increasingly negative direction but of course this wasn't the truth It may have felt like the truth, but it wasn't. You see, feelings can be liars and not, and they're not always a reliable guide to reality. Now, all of these metaphors and examples of being a scapegoat, a whipping boy, or a city dump receiving other people's toxic waste may seem extreme, but I've used them to actually elicit feelings in you that speak to that place of loss and rejection. It's an extremity. And some people relate to it more than others, but I want to point out to you that it's a feeling and not a fact. Our feelings can become warped and woven into our brains, and when they present themselves as a fact, "I feel it, therefore it must be true," will will keep your inner scapegoat um, being destructive. <laughs> you see, we are hardwired; we have hardwired our truth from repeated experiences. Yet. God's reality, the real truth, the full truth, can be vastly different. William Becker says that our feelings are caused by what we tell ourselves about our circumstances. And there is such a thing as false guilt. False guilt blames us for things beyond our control. Helpful guilt actually enables us to accept responsibility for our choices. Look, um, <laughs> I once owned a goat, and he was a big billy goat, Um, named Boots and he was very strong. I had him on chain and he was tethered to a stake in the ground and whenever I went to shift him he would really pull hard, it took all of my strength to control him. He also had a bad attitude and whenever he saw a woman he would buck them, he had no respect for a woman at all and if my wife came close he would charge at her and try to buck her. He'd also eat anything, grass, trees, roses, fruit trees, the washing on the clothesline, he was a bleating four legged destroyer with a bad attitude. But I kept him under control. He was not going to dominate me and try and control me. Okay, and for your inner goat, that scapegoat that might be bleeding in your brain, you need to decide to be in control. Your brain, your goat, your responsibility. Don't blame others for your goat and the destruction it wreaks. All your all you're doing by doing that is feeding someone else's inner goat. <laughs> Let's not be abusive. Um, so next week we'll look at how to tame the goat. In the meantime here's some great quotes. Uh, the search for a scapegoat is the easiest of all hunting expeditions. <laughs> Dwight Eisenhower. Uh, I have clients who are nowhere near as insane as their families but they're the people who've been targeted with mental illnesses because that's convenient for everyone involved. Jordan V Peterson. It's easy to criticize when he, a man when he's out of favor, to make him shoulder the blame for everybody else's mistakes. Leah Tolstoy. Uh, you can always find somebody who is worse than you are uh, to make you feel virtuous. It's a cheap shot. Those awful terrorists, perverts, communists, they are the ones who need to repent. Yes, indeed they do. And for them, repentance will be a full time job. Exactly as it is for all the rest of us, Hugh Nibbly. David Riddell, he says, When I believe my feelings and those feelings misrepresent reality, I'm headed for a self-referential pit, and that will get deeper and darker as I dig myself into my homemade delusion. Believing all of my emotions is the shortest way to, into the loop of insanity. First the truth, then faith in the truth, then the feelings will come around. David Riddell To achieve radical change, I need to call some of my feelings liars and choose to side with the truth against my own emotions until my feelings come around. David Riddell Get control of your feelings before your feelings get control of you. Emotions are not a reliable guide to how things are. Uh, David Riddell Your feelings are not a reliable guide to what you should and shouldn't do. They merely reflect subconscious beliefs, which may need to be examined. David Riddell. Here's some uh, questions. In this post, where did you most connect to? What was it that I said that um, really connected with you? Two, have you ever felt that you have been made a scapegoat? Hmm? (laughs) Number three, what would you say to an an inner scapegoat? Your inner scapegoat. Hey, uh, I hope that this res- resonated with you and helped you in some aspect of your thinking. Um, perhaps you'd like to email me. I'd love to hear from my readers and listeners and viewers. <laughs> it's barry at turningthepage.co.nz And uh, please, please feel free to email me. And um, just a- another big thank you to those people who regularly support and um, financially this, this ministry. A uh, dollar a month. That's it's um, probably about the minimum that you can actually give uh, via Patreon. And if you want to find out more how to support what we're doing here, it's come over to turningthepage.co.nz forward slash support. So, until next week, have you got a goat in your backyard of your brain? <laughs> okay, we'll see you then. Bye.